passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waitay. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, welcome to Rewind the Dynamite on June the 7th of 2023. I am John Pollock alongside Waiting, live from Toronto, and here with you all night long. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Have you been outside? No, I have not. Are you purposely avoiding going outside? Yeah, I would say so. Although I would say outside is kind of coming inside uh, throughout most of the day. It's kind of hard to avoid even the air quality in the house. But it's, uh, you know, we, we thought like, I mean, the pandemic was pretty bad and hopefully is the worst thing that, you know, we'll ever have to live through. But at least we got to go outside for lockdown. We can't even like I can't even breathe. I can't breathe anywhere. I can't. I, there's for, nowhere to I, escape. I went for a walk today. It was unreal. It was oh. I've I've never experienced something like that. Like it just. It's terrible. Just like, yeah. I don't know what I breathed in, but I was out for about a half hour. Like, so Tor- Toronto apparently has like the third worst um, air quality in the world next to, I think, somewhere in India and New York City tops us. So, okay. Well, they got us beat. So, top we'll three. Soon. Right. And, yeah. Um, inflation rate went up um, uh, today as well. So, you know, good news all around, really, <laughs> if you're a Canadian. Happy news here on Rewind to Dynamite. Well, other than that, thanks to everyone for joining us. For those that did not tune in last week, the format on Wednesday nights for the next month or so, we are doing double header nights here on Wednesday. So we're going to go through the news and discuss AEW Dynamite. Once that is complete, we are flipping over to the Post Wrestling Cafe in about an hour or so. So for all Cafe members, you can join us live as we go through the Magnum TA episode of Dark Side of the Ring. All of that coming your way tonight. And for Post Wrestling Cafe members, not only do you get the double shot tonight, Thursday night, we're going live at 8.15 p.m. Eastern for a very special watch-along. Way, myself, and Brandon from New Jersey, as we are going to find out what is Vanderpump rules. <laughs> what are we watching, Way? Do, do you have a specific episode that, that you have selected? Um, I'm going in beyond, I am ice cold going into this. I don't know what to expect. I don't know who these people are, but I'm looking to find out. This is our research assignment. Well, we do have an episode specifically, and this was the episode, John. This was season 10, episode 15, Scandaval, the episode in which we catch up with the scandal that took place, 
I believe off season. I know very little about this show, but thankfully we have an expert who's joining us in Brandon from New Jersey. He will be catching us up all, all the way up until season 10 in his own Brandon from New Jersey way. And we will sit back and we will just exactly find out what the Vanderpump rules are about. I mean, I consider this a research project, John, you know, we mentioned Vanderpump all the time, looking at these ratings. We need to know what AEW is up against. Vanderpump is going to destroy dynamite tonight. That will be a guarantee. This will be the number one show on cable uh, tonight. So we are going to dig in to Vanderpump rules on Thursday night. So we will be watching it live with you, the cafe viewers. So join us uh, postwrestlingcafe.com or video postwrestling.com it's a packed month at the post wrestling cafe with weekly double shots rewind to smackdown and the launch of a new collision review starting saturday nights beginning june 17th so all of that to look forward to uh, this month and we also spent some time at the beginning of rewind to raw going over some of the specifics on the cafe uh this month uh the banner pub rules watch along is 8 15 p.m 8.15 p.m. Eastern time to accommodate me uh, getting my kids to bed. So thus, that's that's the 15-minute uh, buffer time. So that that's uh, there's Eastern time zone. There's also Pollock time mm-hmm. zone. That's what we're going to be on Thursday night. And Brandon will probably join us um, right at the end credits or something like that, <laughs> hoping, hoping he makes it. Let's chat about the news, the unfortunate passing of Hossein Khosro Vasiri, better known as the Iron Sheik. Uh, the news was made through his uh, official Twitter account with a statement issued that he had passed away at the age of 81. No cause of death revealed. Um, but this is somebody that had gone through, um, you know, uh, tumultuous issues in his life, not just personal tragedy that he suffered, but also drug addiction. Um, had, you know, uh, he was in financial peril at, at different times, but just seeing like this is another one way that when you're talking about those figures that made their popularity in that 80s national expansion boom it resonates with such an audience and you saw that today with the level of mainstream coverage this got it, and this was i don't know how best to describe iron sheik other than he was a a larger than life pro wrestling character that played it to the tilt and so many people remember uh, this character as the evil foreign adversary of Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter later. Um, yeah, just someone, a very memorable character in professional wrestling. And I mean, has a really incredible life story when you go beyond just the character. Certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody who I think always felt like a character, whether or not he was inside the wrestling ring. Um, and, and, you know, for various reasons, I think that that becomes incredibly interesting to, to study. Um, you know, I certainly was not watching wrestling when he was sort of in his prime, I guess you could say. Um, and really, it took place, I, I think, before maybe, you know, the majority of current wrestling fans probably were watching wrestling. But nonetheless, the man has managed to stay relevant somehow, just maybe through the sheer for- force of his personality. You know, obviously for his accomplishments in ring as well, but I would say maybe even outside of it um, has just always been a presence to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, grew up in, in Iran and came over to the U.S., like got out of the country and, you know, just pursued a a desire to compete in Greco-Roman wrestling. And, you know, there's, you know, not to the extent of an Andre the Giant, but there is a lot of fiction attached to the Iron Sheik. And the origin of such is is probably, I mean, you can go into different um, origin stories of uh, where 
some of these came. But I mean, the guy never won uh, an Olympic gold medal or competed at the Olympics. But nonetheless, he was an AAU champion in Greco-Roman wrestling. And this was and did go as an assistant coach at one of the at the Munich Games. And then it was through Vern Gagne, who was involved with the you know, helping to to fund the U.S. men's team that he got into professional wrestling. And Vern Gagne uh, churned out so many headliners um, out of Minnesota. And uh, Cosro was involved in the same class as uh, Ric Flair in the, the camp where Ric Flair quit and then was brought back. And when you go and see photos of him in the 70s, I mean, this guy, it, it like it blows your mind to see photos of this guy who was like a really good wrestler. Um, before, you know, his, his body broke down and it was more so just the, the iron chic that most people would be familiar with. But he started out training in, in 1972 and then gets his start. And he is going to a lot of territories. Like he went to mid south in his first year, uh, was going under various names. It wasn't until later in his career that he adopted the iron chic, uh, persona. But here's a, a shot that way has. I mean, this is here it is the future winner of the gimmick battle royal. I mean, the man, like, look at that six-pack. I mean, uh, he had a totally different look to him um, in his early days. But, you know, he goes to Florida. He goes to Mid-South. I mean, he's going all over, but not all that different from superstar Billy Graham, who we just talked about. It's New York that he gains his his largest uh, fame, and it's sort of on the, the heels of the Iranian hostage situation, which... occurred over 444 days where uh where where the government had had taken u.s prisoners hostage and that lasted until from late 79 until early 81 so you can imagine what the national sentiment was towards iran at the time and it's sort of playing into at at its most uh, cavalier the stereotypes in professional wrestling and leaning on heavy heavy xenophobia um, that was prevalent at this point. And the Iron Sheik, seeing that this is a great source for a heel character, and that certainly did resonate uh, with the audience. He first goes to New York in 79, and he wins a battle royal and challenges Bob Backlund. And that was sort of a forgotten match he had with Backlund losing to him. And then it's when he comes back for the big run in late 83, where he just comes out of nowhere. He is plopped onto a Madison Square Garden card in November, wins, and then the next month, he beats Bob Backlund and ends his his big title run. So it goes from superstar Billy Graham to Bob Backlund. And Backlund, I mean, he had some phantom title switches, but largely, like if you were in New York, you saw this guy for five years hold the title, and Iron Sheik beats him, and it was in shocking fashion that he wins. And it was it's a very heated match that you can watch where – um, and they would play this like years later with, with Bob Backlund's comeback where the towel is thrown in and there's, a uh, um, Freddie Blassie as the manager. And the original like announcement was that Iron Sheik would face Backlund in a rematch the next month. And then it is announced that Hulk Hogan is taking the spot. And on January 23rd, Hulk Hogan beats the Iron Sheik. So Sheik is the, the link between Backlund and Hogan, who would be the, the person who the the national expansion that was the shoulders it was placed upon, and as the legend went, Vern Gagne put up this this sum of whether it was seventy five or a hundred thousand dollars, telling Iron Sheik to break Hulk Hogan's leg, 
And uh, Iron Sheik went to them and uh, pretty much had the loyalty of the company for the rest of his career by not breaking their, their golden goose's leg uh, for Vern Gagne's uh, attempt to literally cut off the legs of the WWS plans. So um, that's kind of Sheik's you know, biggest moment in terms of notoriety. But after that, he had a, a series of matches with Sergeant Slaughter, including this boot camp match in the spring of 84. That's a really like well-remembered match, a bloody brawl at, at the garden. And then he wins the tag titles at the first WrestleMania and sort of has like a decent position with the company up until 1987 when he and Jim Duggan are traveling and they get pulled over and the and first of all, Jim Duggan is like drinking and driving and not thinking this is a too big of a deal. And also notes that they've been smoking marijuana. And when they go to check the vehicle, they find uh, they find cocaine in the vehicle as well. And certainly this is this is not a, a great look. But the real scandal way is the fact that the two are feuding on television. What are they doing in the same car together? So this was a huge scandal at the time that this was like blowing the doors off of professional wrestling, that the Iron Sheik, the evil foreigner and the all-American Jim Duggan are are caught together. And three grams of coke are found belonging to the Iron Sheik, who would end up. Um, serve, he would get probation, but the charges would get dropped. But this was a really bad deal for Jim Duggan, who, you know, Sheik would be eventually let go as a result of this. And Duggan would be, they would stop using him as well. But Duggan, like his father was the New York police chief. So this was, and this is right in that area. And so very embarrassing that here the police chief's son, who's this national television star, is arrested in this fashion, like a really bad look. And Duggan always felt like, yes, the company brought him back, but they never pushed him to the same degree they did, whether it was just they couldn't trust him and they would always keep him as you know an over baby face. But he always felt like this really derailed his career in terms of being that that number two baby face underneath Hogan of where he felt his his ceiling was, but you know, Sheik would get many opportunities with the company and he would bounce around. Uh, he'd go, he came back to the company in 88. Then he, uh, flipped over, did dates in AWA, went to WCW for two years, which was the Jim Hurd era. And towards the end when Ole Anderson was booking and was a real mismatch where he did not really fit in with where that company was going. And I guess if you want to look at his last significant run, if you can call it that, he is brought back by the company, by WWF, in early 1991, but not as the Iron Sheik, because the U.S. doesn't have any problems with Iran at this point. They have problems with Iraq. So now he's an Iraqi sympathizer, and he is Colonel Mustafa that is attached with Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan. And this would be the focus of that year's SummerSlam and they they rode this thing out. This was a very controversial uh, story in 1991 when they felt that they were exploiting the, uh, the the Gulf War. And so Mustafa got a year out of this character and then would continue to bounce around the Indies, came back to the WWF in 96 to manage the Sultan with Bob Backlund and would would pop up many times. He did the gimmick battle royal, which famously he had to win because he couldn't take the bump over the top rope. So he won by default. And, and then the rest was, um, you know, just, he had one more match like years later, but it was like, he was mainly a guy that was doing the convention circuit and independent appearances. Um, but probably the, 
the most significant story that affected him was in May of 2003 when his, his oldest daughter, Marissa, was murdered by her boyfriend. And this was a, hor- a horrific story where, fr- from the sounds of it, like she had ended things with him and then he strangled her to death. And he ended up uh, being uh, charged and going, uh, was found guilty. But this you know, just wreck this guy, as you could imagine, like for your daughter to be murdered like this. And this was covered in the A&E documentary. And the story had gone around for a while. But um, from all like sides of the family, like Iron Sheik had a plan that when he was when the former boyfriend was being sentenced, like he was he either was planning or actually did bring a razor blade into the courthouse hidden in his mouth, like the wrestlers would, and he was going to slit this guy's throat in the courthouse, which would have been um, just an insane story. Um, similar to like the Cain Velasquez story in, in some ways of uh, something you can absolutely not condone, but um, could you understand it? Maybe. Uh, so anyway, it was a devastating, devastating event in his life. And, you know, sadly, like throughout the 2000s, of course, he was not shy about like the drug use, like he was addicted to crack cocaine, he had lost his money. And he was put out like where he had this whole second life as just this wild character that would come on and cut promos on on Hulk Hogan and be Brian Blair and act crazy. And people would bring them on for like entertainment value. And sometimes it was very sad to, to watch when um, th- this guy, it, like folk, he became like featured on Howard Stern all over the place outside of just professional wrestling. And then it seemed like it was finally his wife left him. And then he got clean in these uh, last uh, few years and uh, did have two other daughters that he is uh, survived by along with, uh, five grandchildren, but uh, many people are going to remember the the outlandish character of the Iron Sheik, which I mean, it had its lows, and I would say, in terms of the uh, the more positive side of it, was that Hall of Fame speech in 2005 that was probably among the most entertaining Hall of Fame speeches when he got up there and just kept going and going, and it was um, a pretty damn entertaining speech when he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh. Terrifically colorful character in the world of professional wrestling who will be tremendously missed. And, you know, um, I, I, I have to eternally thank him for giving us that soundbite at the end of review away slash rewind away, which we continue to use to this day. So, um, he, you know, a, a huge loss. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you want to learn more, I, like, yes, the, the A&E piece came out just recently. It was just on this last uh, run of the, the season of uh, documentaries. But he also had a documentary called The Sheik that came out in 2014 uh, that, that the Megans, who were very, very tight with him, uh, helped put together. And it's it's an excellent documentary if you want to check that out uh, as well. So uh, rest in peace to the Iron Sheik, who uh, has passed away at the age of 81 We'll move on over a couple ratings notes, and we start off with Raw from Monday night, and the show did 1,828,000 viewers and a .56, up 17 and 7% respectively. Technically, this was the number one show on all of television Monday night. I say technically because they inched out the Vegas Golden Knights and Florida Panthers Stanley Cup game on TNT, but the way the Stanley Cup final works is they will be alternating 
Like last year, it was on ABC on broadcast television. This year, it's on TNT. And to make up for the lesser homes that TNT is in, they are simulcasting the game on not just TBS, but also True TV. So if you add up all three networks, it would have been the most watched. Uh, the, the Stanley Cup would have been watched by more people, but no individual station technically beat the USA Network. So if you're into bragging rights, if you're a network, um, I guess that there's a philosophical question of who won the night on Monday between Raw and the NHL. I'm sure Nikon would have a very solid argument why we are number one. And technically they were. They were technically number one. So that's that's a good basis to have in your argument. But this was the largest audience for Raw since the night after WrestleMania. And um, the final hour of Raw was their most watched third hour since the night after WrestleMania. So I would say that that does tell you that a title match on television with Seth Rollins and Damian Priest meant a lot. And it did a much better job of holding the audience with um, that third hour, um, not having the NBA assisted as well. So they could have a conflict next Monday if uh, uh, actually they will because of the the NBA series. But then they're in the clear after that. So overall, um, a very, very good number for Raw on Monday night. Dark Side of the Ring did 155,000 viewers and a .04 in the demo. So a small increase in viewers and a slight decrease in the demo from last week. And NXT did 615,000 viewers and a .17 in the demo. They were very similar to the week before, which is a good sign because last week they were fourth on cable, a huge ranking for NXT. This week they were fifth. So second week in a row being top five. Uh, This is uh, uncharted territory for NXT since the very, very early days when they were uh, moving to the USA Network. Um, Cable was topped on Tuesday, by the way, by Real Housewives of New Jersey. So that could be our future uh, watch along uh, subject. But um, yeah, a good number for NXT. And we're going to find out, I think, how big of a number NXT can do, because at the end of the show, the big angle was Braun Breaker issuing a challenge for Seth Rollins to come to NXT next Tuesday to defend the NXT championship, which is Interesting for a lot of reasons, the idea of having Seth come to NXT. Obviously, they are putting a big focus on NXT with a regular rotation of main roster talent. And you could argue, um, like outside of, like, there's not too many names bigger than Seth Rollins that you can get to come down that are realistically going to do a match. I would say this is like the biggest um, match you've had of a main roster performer, probably since one of the Charlotte Flair matches a few years ago. So, and number two, I think this is going to be an incredible match that these two have. And um, I'm very interested to see how well this can do, because this should be a big show for NXT given uh, Seth Rollins and what that will bring to NXT. I think they should use a lot of, of their promotional power on Monday to push it. You know, if you're going to try to make this a big success and you're going to loan your biggest star on Mondays over to, to um, uh, Tuesdays, I mean, let's make a big deal out of it. Let's get Braun Breaker on Raw. I think that would be a great idea to have Breaker show up uh, on, on Raw to set things up. I'm certain that in the heat of these television negotiations, it sure doesn't hurt to have your third level property doing, you know, if we have the ability to do this, why not? Um, mm-hmm. it's, it only strengthens your... Uh, your hand to state, look at, look at all the options we have. We are not just raw and SmackDown. Like here is something that, um, you know, didn't, didn't Nick Khan allude to, to, you know, like he, Nick Khan value of NXT yeah. again, whenever you hear these Nick Khan speeches and he's throwing out these theoreticals and we think this, 
always pay attention to that stuff because the wheels are turning and he's not just throwing stuff out that is just off the top of his head. This is all calculated stuff that has likely been uh, debated internally and they're at the point where they're ready to roll this out and tease it in these things. And NXT being a third brand that can have main roster talent, we're obviously seeing at least in the short term Baron Corbin and Mustafa Ali attached to this and cameos, whether it's a Dana Brooke level or something really, really big like Seth Rollins that they are uh, going forward with. And beyond that, on NXT, they they did have Baron Corbin beating Trick Williams, and he'll face Ilya Dragunov next week. And Thea Hale won the Women's Battle Royal, which uh, the Chase U members entered the ring to celebrate, including the uh, the uh, Cavender twins, who are um, these huge, like, social media stars that are, um, you know, they were university athletes that have really just um, cashed in on this whole NIL agreement and signed an NIL deal with the WWE back in 2021. So this is our first on-screen appearance by them. And they're certainly two people to watch because they have gotten a ton of attention and the sponsorships they have lined up. They have a lot of currency behind them. Absolutely. Yeah, um, we'll see how they shape up in professional wrestling. And some shows coming up in the next few days. Uh, we have the All Together Again event, which is a joint effort between New Japan, NOAA, and All Japan. Friday morning on pay-per-view at 4.30 a.m. It's 30 bucks on New Japan World. It's headlined by Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kento Miyahara, and Kaito Kiyomiya against Kazuchika Okada, Yuma Aoyagi, and Keno. And the card is, if you're a fan of these three promotions, this is your all-star game. And the main event, I mean, at the very least, you get Okada and Kiyomiya that mm-hmm. I would think it's just going to be the progression before they go into the G1 together. And we will see if they're going to have a match in that round robin because on Saturday during the show in uh, the New Japan Road event, they will announce the blocks for the G1. So we are expecting four blocks of eight uh, which would mean seven first round matches for everybody and where everyone's going to be slotted. But we went over this lineup on Monday. It's, it's a very enticing uh, lineup for G1 with a uh, 10 new faces in this year's tournament. Born in the ring is the title. They were, that's, um, born in the ring. Yes. Hmm. Um, has there ever been a live birth in a wrestling ring? I wonder. Maybe a DDT. I'm willing to say no. I'm willing to say that the, the the market is wide open for that title to be taken by somebody. Very bold out there. And the last thing is uh, UFC 289 on Saturday night. Your house or mine? Well, if you're willing to bear the smoke outside and you know uh, the, the 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 poisonous uh, gases in the air, then sure, show up. Well, maybe it's a it's a less of a smog alert in. Uh... Vancouver, because this is the UFC's return to Canada for the first time since September of 2019. Um, I'm just going to be straight with everyone. This is not a pay-per-view level card. This is the main event has Amanda Nunez against Arena Eldana for the women's bantamweight title. This was going to be the third fight between Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena, but Pena was injured. So Aldana is in. You can never say that someone is uh, completely out of the realm of possibility of winning, but Nunez would have to have a very bad night to lose this. Uh, it would be a very memorable moment, and you can never say never in some of these fights. But Aldana, th- this is a very, very big step up for her to challenge Amanda Nunez. But crazier things have happened, and Juliana Pena beating Amanda, Amanda Nunez was one of those things. So there might be some intrigue there. Aldana's a very good striker. 
Uh, but I feel Nunez is a better striker and grappler. But nonetheless, that is why they fight. The real big fight on the show is Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush. This is uh, Oliveira's first fight since losing the lightweight title and ending his 11-fight win streak. So the questions there are how he snaps back from from that loss. And Benil Dariush has won his last eight fights going back to 2018. He is He has beaten just a who's who. Um, coming off a win over a uh, Matush Gamrot by unanimous decision. And it would be very hard to deny this guy a lightweight title fight, but he's also not the most uh, endearing personality uh, to, to say the least. And that will hold him back, but he's a outstanding fighter. So I'm really looking forward to this fight. The rest of the main card. I mean, God bless like Mike Malott is a very talented fighter. Um, if you blink twice, you might see speedball Mike Bailey, but he is a, uh, this is just not a a eighty dollar card on on paper here against uh yeah a- Adam uh, Adam Fugit who's uh the most noteworthy thing I can tell you is when I looked up him on Twitter his Twitter handle is uh Fugit about it which was kind of very good yeah that was good uh, Nate Landwehr is a super entertaining fighter against Dan Ige again we might get some really entertaining fights but again this is not an eighty dollar uh, pay per view card and I think that is uh, an understatement but. That is coming up on Saturday night. Eric Marcotte and I will review the show Sunday, noon Eastern, here on the Post YouTube channel. And um, way I'll tell you all about it afterwards. I, I don't want you coming out in the uh, in these air conditions as much as I know you want to see uh, uh, Adam Fugit and Mike Malott compete on that main card. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com. And you know what? When you have that tab open for postwrestling.com, open up a new window and go on over to NordVPN because that is going to answer all of your needs. And you know what? This show has been going on long enough that I'm not even going to let Way tell you all of the advantages of NordVPN because we, we just don't have time for this. So you know they were wonderful sponsors for the month of may um in in june we shall see but you know what we go to nordvpn.com slash post wrestling always give them some love through us so that we get a bit bit of that credit uh even after the months that they're actually sponsoring us but they are of course our friends and it's how i watch AEW all the time so why not yes and i will also go to our uh our page template later in the day and not refer to last week's um, because I did not get the magic text today. So that I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Nothing wrong. We did. We, we should. Yeah. Okay. This is why we should do pre-show meetings. We go live on air and that's it. That's the only time we talk to each other. Yeah. You know what? We had an Epic meeting Mm -hmm. yesterday. One of our better ones. I think that is true. We got a lot done. That is true. Sometimes it gets tense during our meetings. Do you notice that? As it should. I mean, we, you know, like we're, 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 we're here to talk about raising our child. Right. And we're both very passionate about it. So it makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. It was a good one, though. We should have recorded it. Uh, maybe yeah, at some point. No, yeah. we're not. Dynamite tonight. Colorado Springs, Colorado going up against game three of the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat and Vanderpump rules during the second hour. So, so some big competitors tonight. They are kicking things off with Orange Cassidy and Swerve Strickland for the international championship with Orange Cassidy week by week becoming more and more of a mummy with all of the tape over his neck, over (laughs) his back. I love this story that this dude is just like, like he's Kenny that gets killed on South Park and just keeps coming back every week. And finally, it's going to be like the most mundane injury that's going to keep them like it's going to be a hangnail or something that just is like i can't do it anymore i'm broken 
it's a wonderful story of like a guy basically like you know surviving basically his way through these latter months of his AEW title run. I mean, I watch a match like this and I wonder it's being built up so well that I really hope he gets a big stage where he finally drops the title and really what could be a bigger stage than Wembley Stadium. But that's a long ways away. Can they tell this type of story for that long? Yeah, and I don't even have like the like with Jade Cargill, I think so much of it was, well, who is going to beat this woman? Who do you build up? And I think this story is so unique that you you, you could have done it with, with Swerve. I also think you could do it with almost anyone that it's the story is that this guy is not at 100%. So it's mm-hmm. going to be the person that happens to be in the ring with him yeah. when this guy finally hits empty on his gas tank. And that person is like, they're going to be the questionable champion because you beat such a diminished champion who was the most fighting champion we've ever had. If there's ever a way for a Danhausen negative one to ever win a championship, like it would be this orange Cassidy title run at the same time, he's built this thing up so well, you do want to give the value to, you know, a top level heel and perhaps swerve is that guy or QT. One of those two. Okay. Where's QTV, by the way? Um, no, I don't, I don't know if it's been picked up yet. Maybe um, in a hiatus. Yeah, maybe a maybe a collision exclusive. Maybe that was Chris Licht's for last uh, last uh, decision as the head of CNN before he got uh, turfed. Very busy day today in media. Oh, yeah. What? Oh, okay. Wow, I didn't even hear about that. So Orange Cassidy, he uh, spins on the the shoulders into a Rana, um, hits a stun dog onto Swerve. And he was working for the spinning DDT and the audience starts getting into the, the near falls. There's a Rana and Orange goes to hook the legs, but he can't because the right hand that had been smashed into the post is giving him problems. So this right hand is this debilitating injury that has never recovered. So all of the opponents find a way to destroy his hand and Swerve just took it and smashed it into the post. And his grip was affected by this and just completing covers. He couldn't do this because of the hand. Wouldn't it be so sad if he can't even do his lazy thumbs up? I mean, you probably couldn't at this point. Mm -mm. Have you ever really damaged your hand? It's a Um, killer. I mean, I'm sure I have. I I don't remember the particular. Yeah, I remember like I was playing dodgeball in in, like when I was like 13 and I basically smashed the finger. So. When I was when I was like eight or nine years old, I was playing I was playing baseball. I was playing softball, and a line drive came for me, mm. and it was to my right, and I put my hand out to stop it instead of my glove hand. Oh, what what? Why would you do that? I don't know. I was eight, and this th- the dude it hurt so badly. Granted, I was eight. I was probably being overly dramatic. But were, my were God. you feeling brave? Like you're going to, you know, uh, it was instinctual. Like it was coming at me and it wasn't on my glove side. So I just put my hand up and boom, it hit. And I was oh. Like, oh, my God. Hurt. You shouldn't play sports. Should no, I, I retired that day. So Swerve then uh, Prince Nana gets onto the apron and Swerve runs into him and we get an orange punch and beach break. And when this when Swerve kicked out of this, this place lost their minds. Everyone bought this as the finish. And I love this because, number one, it's it's a great near-fall spot, but this plays into the story. Like, none of his offense is as effective. Like, the orange punch is not 
it's like a 40% version of it. And he's trying, he can't even properly grip the legs. So he's trying to get him up for the beach break. Like this is not a 100% orange Cassidy. Like all of his offense should have less impact than usual. He's winning through pure will. Like his will is allowing him to pull off these moves, but they're not allowing him to finish them because of one thing or another. And resorting to to tactics that he needs to. So Mm -hmm. he gets faked out and Swerve kicks out his knee, hits the Swerve stomp. And this was another giant near fall. And I I could have seen this being the ending here with this Swerve stomp. And he hits, uh, he goes for the JML driver. It's countered and both go back and forth. Swerve tries to grab the jeans for leverage, but Cassidy counters and rolls up Swerve and grabs his trunks and gets the pin at 1546. And they emphasize that Swerve is complaining, but he tried the exact same thing as the idea here that Cassidy was just giving this guy his own medicine. But also, like, he had to resort to this because he did not have an answer to get out of this. I, I love this match. I thought it was yeah. so fun. There's If you're watching these title matches... Like it's a different story each week, but they all t- tie in together. And to me, it's it's maybe my most compelling thing that I'm enjoying at the moment in AEW week to week are these title defenses. Yeah, I certainly think aid. Uh, you know, Cassidy's is the best title reign in AEW. I might go as far as to say, at least for my watching of professional wrestling, maybe my favorite title reign in professional wrestling right now, and that includes a Roman Reigns title reign that really is just more kind of like, you know, famous because of length and quality. But, you know, in terms of activity, in terms of consistency of quality, this Orange Cassidy reign is only getting better and better and better. And that's just the nature of this particular type of story. The more injured he is, the more you're going to think, you know, a challenger like Swerve is going to have that much of a chance of actually taking the the belt off of him. And it's, it creates these wonderful near falls. Um, it creates these wonderful opportunities for a baby face like Orange Cassidy to overcome the odds. I mean, he's been kind of like telling this injury story for quite some time now, and it still feels fresh. And, you know, much of that this week is is because of Swerve. I think these two have fantastic chemistry. Today, they just seem to pick right up from where they left off with the Battle Royal. Technically, I think these two allow each other to become like the best in-ring versions of themselves because they're both incredibly athletic. In terms of character, they're both both very unique personalities that feel like they're both kind of lifted out of like a comic book or a movie, you know, sort of is just the, your horror movie type of villain. I thought his charisma was outstanding in the match and Cassidy, his anti charisma is just as impressive. You know, he's like your everyday slacker who kind of like shazams into this like incredible wrestler. And I thought like the lingering of back and forth between the hand injury to the back injury was really well told. And I also love the way that they justified Orange Cassidy's cheating. He's becoming more and more desperate. And so he's resorting to heel tactics. And it's 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 a great way to shape and carry on the story. So as Orange Cassidy has survived the match, the, emb- the mogul embassy run down to attack Cassidy. The lights are out and in the ring appear Sting and Darby Allen for the second week in a row to save Orange Cassidy. And we would find out where this is going later in the show. Yeah, I really from- do think Swerve is the guy to take it off of him. Now, I also want that to have happen on a big stage. And unfortunately, with something like Forbidden Door, I don't know if you're going to get that big stage until Wembley. Again, can they drag it up for that long? Um, and will it be swerved by that point? I mean, I certainly hope so, but let's see if they can tell that story for that long. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, 
Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. There were promos from Jay White and Ricky Starks in advance of the main event, and then a recap of Brian Danielson's challenge to Okada at Dominion from the video that aired over the weekend. And then he joins commentary, taking issue with Okada being referred to as a once-in-a-lifetime performer. And he is not impressed with Kazuchika Okada. He sticks on commentary for the BCC against the Best Friends and Rocky Romero, and Danielson finds it interesting that these are the guys Okada likes to hang out with. These, uh, these, these chaos members. And they bring up the history here of Yuta with the best friends and, and Rocky on, on top of that. And now where, where he has gone, clearly making the, the right decision in life and his friends. So there's an immediate attack, uh, attack by chaos as they are very aggressive. And then they do the group hug and Danielson. Imagine wasting your time doing that while fighting the BCC. And Excalibur uh, brings up Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli's win in Osaka on Sunday and that they could have jet lag. And Shivani notes, yeah, and we're at elevation here in, in Colorado Springs. So, I mean, these guys just have everything working against them. Jet lag and they've got elevation to deal with. Well, they don't have poisonous smog though, at least. No, sure that'll be in a few weeks if it, if it lasts when they're up here. Mm. The best friends hit double flying knees to Moxley and a strong zero. And then as Romero applies the arm bar to Moxley, Trent does a moonsault to the floor and Claudio catches him with a European uppercut upside down as he's landing the moonsault. Great looking spot. And Moxley escapes the arm bar, bulldog, and then a rear naked choke is applied to Romero, tapping him out in 814 while Yuta subdues Chuck Taylor. Uh, Strong, fun, six-man for Blackpool Combat Club who remain undefeated as a trios unit. And at some point, um, they've got to go for those trios belts. I think so. I think that's the clear, you know, direction, I, I, I would think. Um, they, they've they been wrestling, I feel, more as trios lately. They've been showcased more as trios lately, particularly in this particular configuration. So a House of Black BCC match, I think, is a very strong pay-per-view level match for whatever they decide to do that. I thought this match was outstanding. As always, it had the fierce energy of a, of a BCC-style match. And I love that the best friends tried to emulate that style at the beginning of this match where they were the ones to jump the BCC first. And that makes sense. Just kind of given the history between the best friends and, you know, uh, the BCC through Wheeler Yuta. I thought Trent looked really good here as well in terms of intensity. He's always very impressive in ring, but I mean, the best friends are just kind of where they are, you know, like they don't ever really feel like they're in serious title contention at this point, but they're always like fan favorites. Um, I loved seeing Claudio do that uppercut midair and then just that followed up with the barrage of like Moxley's chokes plus Yuta with the Busaiku into like the hammer and elbow el- uh, anvil elbows. If you remember on his own trainer, Chuck Taylor, you know, right. that's the guy who brought him into the best friends and the fact that he kept attacking the guy who used to be his, his own best friend in uh, afterwards, they keep finding ways to highlight Yuta in this, like, you know, um, ever since uh, Double or Nothing a- in wonderful ways. And today he didn't even get the pinfall. But the fact that he kept attacking after the bell was enough to keep that spotlight on him. I think they've done a great job. Yeah, for for all we um, gave focus, and I think rightfully so, about all the 
complications of William Regal's exit. Like it left the the BCC like just in the midst of what could have been very detrimental. And here we are. And it feels like that was just a blip. And they Mm. instantly just got onto a new course. And this this heel turn revived them so well. And you, you could certainly argue like they are at their strongest now by leaps and bounds, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And like the, the talent was always going to be strong enough. I mean, they have two guys who, who are very good talkers that, I mean, it was nice to have Regal just kind of give that real life association, but I don't think he was ever an integral part of the team or at least, you know, the, the, the team survival was not completely contingent on Regal. And I certainly don't think it would be contingent on a callus joining them too. In fact, I, I, I don't know if callus would be a good fit in something that like what the BCC are doing. So yeah. Hangman page and the young bucks, they congratulate them on their great match. Didn't see it, but heard it was great. And next week in Washington, they want to face the BCC without the help of Danielson or Takeshita. Danielson accepts on behalf of the BCC and Excalibur notes that next week it'll be the BCC against the hung bucks and the camera was on Danielson, and I was just hoping for some kind of like look or sneer at Danielson hearing the hung bucks, mm-hmm. but he didn't sell it. So they yeah, are loading I up mean, this Washington show next week, which uh, needs some loading up because it's not a spectacular number they're at currently, but they certainly are building a, a build a big show for Dynamite next week. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like you know anything like like Danielson was a part of something called like Team Hell No. Is that any better? Um, you know, he's, I'm sure he's been a part of some cheesy things in his past. Oh, he has. He has. One of the best things on the show was this video for Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega with highlights of Wrestle Kingdom, their post-match promos, Omega, I don't lose big matches. This video alone sold me on Forbidden Door. Like, if you did not... uh if this was not like your thing, you did not watch this first match. You weren't anticipating this. You just saw this video. I thought this thing was great. It was so because I was expecting a much bigger build tonight for the forbidden door angles. And all they did was push the big two matches. But that said, after this show, it feels like this is a show you're not going to miss if, if this is what you're seeking out. It's it's really interesting comparing, you know, at least like the first week of this year's Forbidden Door build to last year's. Well, I think a lot of the complaint last year was maybe how disjointed watching Dynamite was compared to, you know, what was actually taking place at the pay-per-view because you don't have the benefit of using half the roster that you're... And, and yet the punk injury on that Dynamite right after Double or Nothing, which threw right. all plans into chaos. Yeah. Not, not literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, But I think you can navigate through some of those um handicaps by simply providing incredible matches on paper you know like i think that was part of the lesson of rampage last week when you have an attractive card on paper you don't need any build and that's the case for kazuchiko okada versus brian danielson that is certainly the case for kenny omega versus will osprey number two it's a match that is already over simply by its mention and simply by showing a graphic like this so I, I, I hope in the future this is the way to go. It should be the way to go for Forbidden Door. Just promote your dream matches and just kind of let the let the graphics do the storytelling for you. Yeah, and it, to me, like it was the the serious, like big big time star version of Kenny Omega in the in this video that uh, c- came across. 
MJF is out and he insults Colorado. It's the most boring place in the world. This place sucks. And he says he's also bored with the competition. No one is at his level. So out comes Adam Cole. And in the big heel move, he cuts off Adam Cole from doing his Adam Cole baby in the ring, which for the guy standing in the ring, this is quite the choreographed extended entrance that the man has mapped out for himself every time to walk out. It works though. It does work, but I mean, if you're the guy in the ring, I mean, you could understand getting annoyed at this thing you got to just sit through. So MJF starts off. He says he's a big fan of Adam Cole's and said that his he thought his fandom was over after CM Punk left in 2014. But then he flipped on and found Ring of Honor. And he thought Ring of Honor sucked with a bunch of indie jabronis. But as soon as he was about to turn the channel, he saw Adam Cole. And he started studying Cole and thinking that this guy was what was the best guy out there and studied his work in CZW. He saw him become the hottest free agent, then go down to Florida where he shocked the system and was Shawn Michaels' hand-picked guy and the best champion in the history of that company. And that's undisputed. So MJF started training and he followed in his footsteps. He too went to CZW and worked with top names on the indies, signed with AEW and knew that Adam Cole would eventually jump here and they would have the rivalry of a lifetime. But then this guy showed up. What happened to you? And he says that Adam Cole has been at home hiding, playing video games and looking like a virgin edition of Gollum. He says that Britt Baker has his balls in his a, purse. A virgin edition of Gollum? A virgin Gollum. Well, a virgin Gollum. Well, do we know <laughs> Gollum's not a virgin? It's never been confirmed. I never yeah, watched right. those movies. Yeah. How do we know, you know, Gollum's game? Yeah. I mean, don't. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got one ring to rule them all, but does he have, um, does he have that mate as well? <laughs> I don't think he ever procreated. I'll take your word for it's it. It's an I, assumption on MJF's part, to say yeah. the very least. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Britt Baker, yeah, has his balls in his purse and then says that you used to have the body and the physique of a world champion. Now you're so frail, you make crack whores jealous. And I see the online criticism of the company not handling you properly. And you people don't know what you're talking about. This company has done everything to make you look cool from the lights, the music. They even gave you your own reality show. You know what they do to make MJF look cool? They ring the bell. I've had the greatest dog collar match, greatest Iron Man match, best four-way match, and beaten all the top guys. Why are you going to be doing any different? And I read a rumor that the reason you came here is because someone in Titan Towers didn't think you had top guy potential. And that man is Vince McMahon. And this crowd boos Vince McMahon. They chant, fuck that guy. And Jeff's a big fan of Vince and thought that Vince had maybe lost his marbles when he said that. But then he got a closer look at Adam Cole and thought maybe Vince was right. Cole comes back. And my God, does he have to have a comeback here? He says that MJF, this is all you've got. This is the big bad MJF that tears people down. You just come across like a toxic social media troll. Why are you so obsessed with other people's relationships? I know your fiance left you and you are a world-class MJF, a world-class douchebag and says that MJF can't touch his matches or his promos and then issues a challenge, but not any challenge. 
to a urine test. Let's see who's on the gas and who's not. Who's natural? And then he buries MJF saying, there's not one person in the back that respects you. Everyone thinks you do the bare minimum to earn your paycheck. No one has any respect for you. And MJF calls him Keith Lee's manager. So Cole calls that a false narrative. And if you were a real champion, you'd be challenging me to a fight. And you're not doing that because you're a coward. So Cole says, you won't fight me because I'm better than you. And they know it. So MJF loses it here and says he'll fight him anytime, anywhere. And Cole says, well, it looks like we have a match. Way, what did you think of this promo segment? I mean, I'm seeing a few, uh, you know, people criticizing it in the chat room. I thought it was tremendous. I thought it was great. And the, but judging by the, the look on your face, you're probably on the other end. I thought it was great because I thought it was exactly the type of thing Adam Cole needed in this babyface run. The throughout the entirety of the Jericho feud, throughout the entirety of an all access, I know the point is to push him as a babyface, and I know he has a tremendous real comeback story to tell. But the reason why we all fell in love with Adam Cole was because he was an edgy heel asshole. And we got to see a little bit of that asshole come out here, or at, at least, you know, somebody with a bit of firepower and a bit of edge in him in a babyface light. And it takes somebody like an MJF who is that much more of an asshole to drag it out of an Adam Cole. There were some very, um, I, you know, controversial lines, I suppose, you know, you could say uh, certainly no wrestler in AEW to my knowledge has called another person out on screen for being on steroids. And we had it here. I certainly think there are questions to be asked about like whether or not you want publicly to accuse your world champion of something like that. At the same time, MGF promos are very much like rap battles where there are no limits. Really anything goes, almost anything goes, but a lot goes. And I think it's about time that a baby face had to, you know, kind of play dirty to kind of fire, uh, you know, match MJF's firepower. I, I wasn't crazy about the steroid line, um, but it wasn't my, my big, my bigger issue was that this segment in, in this vacuum, like if I would think even people that like are following this closely, like your read on this would be this dude was fired by WWE and he is not like a star. And to me, it's just, I would never want that to be the perception of my baby face. Like he doesn't have the look he does it, like the, we are still playing by the Vince McMahon style of what a star is or is not. Instead of here is a guy that has come in and he has beaten all these guys and he beat Chris Jericho and he is like not just defending, but outright showing the audience like this is all bullshit claims that MJF is making. And I don't know if the audience is necessarily uh, taking that like that. Here's a guy that has come in and he has not become the blow away baby face star that he has been given lots of uh, push by AEW. He has like a lot of what MJF was saying here. I don't know if the audience was necessarily calling bullshit on these critiques of Adam Cole. Or the fact that this audience knows that, yeah, Vince McMahon did not see this guy as a, a big star. But nonetheless, this was the guy that chose to leave NXT, chose to leave WWE because they screwed up. They got rid of or they missed the boat on this. 
generational talent. That is what I think could have been conveyed a bit stronger here rather than here is a cast off from Vince McMahon's version of professional wrestling that we're still going to give this spotlight is still the major leagues of all professional wrestling. I feel like it's it's decently established to your average AEW fan that Vince McMahon has terrible taste. And and I think it kind of goes like with really kind of without saying that, like there are a lot of people that Vince McMahon didn't really doesn't really see star, star uh, you know, uh, star power in that have ended up being stars. I mean, he put over the fact that he's Shawn Michaels chosen talent. And I think the average AEW fan holds a lot more weight in Shawn Michaels opinion than Vince McMahon's. Um, so I, I, I didn't necessarily think that was like, you know, a detrimental insult from NJF. I think maybe this would have been come across a bit differently two years ago when I think WWE was looked at as more out of touch and not connecting with the wrestling fan, as opposed to today, where I don't sense that is the same feel that here's a company that's doing pretty hot right now. And their biggest star is a former AEW star like they seem right. like but here's the company that does have their their finger on the pulse much more today and is the hot company. Sure, but MJF is referring to a time when Cole was a part of a prior regime, and, and, and he was not a pick for that particular regime. I I feel pretty confident in saying that if Hunter had his choice, he would have picked Adam Cole back up. What about, what about the line about you, like you're looking frail, like you don't have the body anymore? Yeah. Um. So I took that to mean like his he's injury prone, like just coming off of the several concussions. It that's it, kind of how I took it, but I mean, I guess what you're you're it's you're saying it's because like he looks small, and that's the the. I I didn't thing. know really what the purpose of the line was because to me it's sort of like it's not as though there's some like comeback there. It's not as well. Though- the comeback was calling MJF uh, uh, for being on steroids. Well, it's I I don't know. It was I guess that was the setup then for for the steroid line. I don't know. It's like I I. I I don't like the the overall just, you know, you couldn't make it in WWE like leniency that this promo had on it. But I think ultimately you grade this on did this enhance Adam Cole as a babyface star for the audience? And the audience certainly reacted to all of these lines. And it, like, do you feel like here is a viable babyface that Adam Cole is is more in that role than he was a week ago from this? I really do. I really do. And, and because this is a segment that to me, again, showcased like what is actually special about Adam Cole. Yes, he's tremendous in ring, but I think he's more exceptional for his ability to play this sort of like, you know, guy who could go toe to toe, like talk trash against the best of them. Um, and, and, and I think it's more than what he showed throughout the entire entirety of the Jericho feud, at least. Would you have had the the steroid line in in here? Do you think Man. it opens them up to like any criticism? It's it's definitely like something you can question and and something you can debate. Um, and I wonder like you know what 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 Tony was thinking when he you know likely approved it. Uh, I'm sure you know MJF was probably one of the people who either either you know encouraged it or or something as well. Again, I think when you're talking about an MJF segment, I mean very few things are off limits and, and MJF is willing to go there with a lot of his opponents. And I thought today was a case where you kind of said the thing you're not supposed to say, but directed towards MJF. Yeah. I, I think that's always sort of the goal is to go 
go as close to that line and sometimes like step over that line. Like that is, and it is like, that is, that is sort of the, the formula that we have often seen. So the match is happening next week. It is not a title match. It's a title eliminator match in Washington. And one would think that Cole probably wins that match. You would have to think so. I mean, it's a non-title match. I'm pretty stunned if he lost this match that you would want to, you know, naturally go to the title match and give a believability that Cole can win. And then the question becomes where, honestly, when this segment ended, I thought this is headlining collision. This was what I thought was going to be the collision match, uh, but it's next week, but not a title match. So if Cole wins, then the question is where this match happens, because I cannot see this doesn't really fit for forbidden door and Mm. all in is a long way away that you would almost think this, maybe this happens on an early collision if you wanted to do a title match there's nothing that that says they can't do it on forbidden door you know like if they do a sonata versus like a new japan star and then have an AEW title defense there as well it kind of balances things but maybe it it certainly wouldn't be the most exciting match on the show and you know at this point i think you mjf needs to really kind of establish himself as the main guy somebody who can actually headline a show there's also an interesting story because that's the event where cole gets the concussion was forbidden door last year good point Right. And here he is, like you can have MJF stating this is where your career nearly ended, and this is the year this is the event where it will end. Mm. That's a good point. So you could put it on. Like it's certainly like the timing of it would certainly work. It just doesn't quite vibe with the theme. But mm. I, I, I don't think it's like I don't want to see MJF in just some throwaway match for the sake of it against yeah. uh uh, unless it's Toriyano. <laughs> well, he has been like building up the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling feud like for, for really quite a long time. So you do kind of want to see him versus like some flag bearer of New Japan. But, you know, we'll see what that happens. Well, that's what I thought this segment would would set up would be a match for Forbidden Door. But it's it's the Adam Cole direction. Hmm. The Hardys and Brothers Day meet with Ethan Page, who is now their employee. And they don't want to make his life hell. They want to make him a better person. That is going to be the goal of these um Forever, how, however long this contract they, they control. I can't wait. Yep. Jack Perry and Hook against Preston Vance and Dralistico in the Texas Tornado match. So this was nuts. Vance has a chain and Hook gets uh, control of this chain. This is after they brawl around the, the crowd and Vance gets busted open severely. This man lost, um, like a bag of blood just coming out of his forehead. His, I mean, this guy was, uh, just auditioning for a horror film. Dralistico- it felt like he had put a mask back on. <laughs> it did. Uh, Dralistico's mask gets torn, and then they're fighting on the floor. Perry then waffles Vance with a chair shot that just looks sick. And from the chair shot, Hook T-bones Vance off the apron through a table that is set up on the floor. Perry then DDTs Dralistico on the chair when Jose comes in and tears off his shirt and... Jose the translator gets into it with, with Perry and then the red rum is applied to Jose and the snare trap on Dralistico who taps out at 855 and then the crowd is all singing Jack Perry's theme and this was just a wild nine minute brawl and a ton of blood I thought it was a lot of fun just like you know very chaotic and you got want some wonderful visuals here with with a tremendous color on Vance and a very satisfying table spot with the T-bone, T-bone off the apron um Vance was kind of the as much as I felt this match was designed for for Jack Perry it was like most of the focus was on Vance and Hook 
Uh, whereas like Hook was the one overcoming the, the larger opponent and mm-hmm. Vance, like you just couldn't take your eyes off this guy because you thought he was going to pass out from the blood loss. Totally. Yeah. So in a short amount of time, or at least what felt like a short amount of time on this two hour loaded show, like I thought they managed to create something that was memorable. They, they continue to build up this jungle hook tag team for what I would presume to be a future tag title shot. Um, I also thought like Perry showed like an extra bit of like, you know, aggression here. He was the one to, to tear, tear at uh, Drillistico's mask, which is sort of like, you know, goes against the Boy Scout image that he's trying to probably shed. And then Tony Khan is here for his weekly announcement and the main event of the first collision on June 17th at the United Center. It will be Jay White, Juice Robinson, and Samoa Joe against FTR and CM Punk at the United Center. So Punk will, in fact, wrestle on his first night back. And I would think that that probably ensures, like you're thinking, way this probably gets like, this is like a two-segment match, potentially. And mm-hmm. like, we could we could get like, like three quarters with CM Punk if he does like opens the show with a promo and then closes the show with like a 25 minute match that this one easily could be. And I can't say it's the worst idea of having Punk on the screen as much as we can for this first episode. So I was surprised. I didn't think they necessarily needed Punk to wrestle week one, save that for week two or three, but Mm. you know, they're loading up this, this first show and, and it's not at the same time where I feel they're giving away a match that they could save. Like it's a six man and it's the novelty that you'll get Punk in the ring with one of his career rivals. And you're not really giving away a a big money match. It's Mm. just, it's a return match. I think this is much like with Kenny and the young bucks. Like this is like really some of the incredible value you get by building up a trios and, and you know, this trios division by extension, you get to protect these very valuable singles matches for, you know, more meaningful pay-per-views or like TV events. While at the same time, it doesn't feel like you're shortchanging the audience because I think CFMTR by themselves are like a known established thing at this point uh, where they themselves feel like an attraction. But beyond that, I mean, you know, this is like a United Center show, and the first time they did the United Center with CM Punk, they didn't need to have him wrestle. But this time, they do, and they do. And, and and you know, it's it's understandable. I I do wonder if like ticket sales were like maybe you know like incredible. Like we're talking what like if they were close to to selling out, if they're at fifteen or something, you know, I wonder if they would have given the match away, but. Nonetheless, I think beyond like even the local um, attraction, you're trying to promote this new night for television viewers. And it's not just CM Punk talking that is a draw. You want him at the beginning of the show. You want people to stick around for the end of the show to see him in the main event. Um, and, and I love probably this. do something at the end of the show, like leave it on a cliffhanger. Do, do something to hook people at the end as well. Like you're you're ensuring that your audience is not just going to tune in for the punk promo and then tune out like they'll mm-hmm. stick around for the show. Um like they should end on a, on some kind of cliffhanger. Like not a, that that's not utilized enough in wrestling is like ending the show with something that you want to see resolved the next week. And you've got to come back to collision for that answer, not dynamite. Totally. Yeah. And you know, throughout this uh, six man tag, you're seeing a lot of future pairings here. Obviously, first of all, the Samoa Joe thing, I'm really glad they're not just giving it away. Um, like that, that singles match cold as like maybe some people had like, you know, um, uh, I guess estimated the, you need to tell the story of CM Punk and Samoa Joe. That's one of the biggest programs you could possibly do on AEW. So I hope they take the time to tell that history. But beyond that, um, you know, there are reports that Punk wants to work with Jay White and this would potentially set that whole thing up as well. So you can have a lot of future stories being told. Uh, is CM Punk going to join a bullet club? 
club, um, Bullet Club Gold. I mean, we shall see. But a lot of feature stories you can tell just coming off of this match. With this announcement, is there any question as to whether you hold off on CM Punk's first promo? Like, does that maybe, like, is his first appearance, like, he comes out for the match instead of, like, next week CM Punk speaks. Like, they're not promoting that he's going to start off the show and cut a promo. Mm -hmm. Although I feel that's going to be the expectation just because of his last arrival in AEW and giving that memorable speech that I think people are going to want to hear from him and will be disappointed. Even that if that's not advertised in advance. Yeah. I think principally even more so than wrestling, you want to know what is on CM Punk's mind after everything that has gone, gone down. Um, certainly the Chicago crowd, I think expects to hear from him. I think it stands your best chance of getting a positive CM Punk reaction by having him cut that return promo in front of a Chicago crowd. So I would do him, you know, do the big speech off the first segment. Maybe he gets, cut off before he says the thing that he actually wants to talk about and then you get to the match and then maybe you save save the promo for later on but you need to have some sort of like on microphone presence from punk for sure kanosuke takeshita defeated damon ace uh there's no music for takeshita their theme music are booze as he comes out with don callus and the crowd is fuck you callus and there's a knee strike a minute 29 callus gets into the ring he's getting drowned out not to the extent of last week but certainly they're hoping that it's going to be copycat crowds each week. And I think like they're going to be established. Like people got it mm-hmm. immediately with Dominic and they're going to know like callous. This is our segment to just boo the hell out of him. So to catch the screams in Japanese and callous is stating everything Omega and the elite have is because of him. And you know what? He obviously felt not enough people watched that sit down with Jim Ross. So he took some of the best lines and said, there has been a cancer in his body, which was Kenny Omega. And what do you do with that cancer? You cut it out and him and his family, again, referencing his family, um, maybe a hint at uh, a unit, are going to cut the elite out of this company for good. Who else is, is related to Don, Don Callis that we don't know about, I wonder? Takeshita? I, I don't know if him and Takeshita would line up on Ancestry.com, but um, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe this is going to be, you know, he'll bring maybe Lance Storm, Jones. Lance, uh, Tony Candelo, um, you know, I'm sure many other Canadian indie workers. I, I really like the idea of if it wasn't for this anti-Canadian thing, like Callis being with Osprey, I, I think is a, a great like link up for when Osprey is over here as like uh, a mouthpiece. But I mean, uh, <laughs> he kind of got singled out in the Canadian rant. You had Callis here. Uh, you're right. So yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Osprey is making any friends with any Canadians in the future. Um, but you had like Callis here mentioned that they're going to take the elite out of the company for good. So they are like playing with the idea of the elite not resigning their contracts and leaving. Oh, I think this is, this is a backup measure, like to have right. a storyline reason of who they would credit with their, their removal if that happens. Marvez interviews Christian Cage and we hear this commotion inside of the locker room and Christian blames Arn for losing a double or nothing. He's the rightful TNT champion after Arn tipped the ladder. So now it's time for him to take something from Arn and we see Luchasaurus has destroyed Brock Anderson inside of the locker room. Mm-hmm. So now we got to have Arn's response. <laughs> I don't know if you want, if you want to piss Arn off. I, I would wait until you're in Canada, at least uh, yeah. Christian. Okay. Where the laws are a bit more uh, strict. Um, uh, so it seems like they're, they're what probably building to Wardlow versus Luchasaurus, I would assume. Yeah, or the team of uh, Brock and Glock. Yes, 
Chris yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think Arn's wrestling it. Ever. No, probably not. Spinebuster we can hope for. Or um, a thumb war with Luchasaurus. Mm-hmm. Chris Statlander <laughs> and Anna JAS for the TBS championship. Matt Menard is out with Anna, who I guess is a lost time Elo now for um, probably nine months plus. I guess so. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anna runs away from Statlander and Menard blocks and then uh, Chris like grabs her leg, pulls her off the apron. Taya Valkyrie is shown in the back watching, so she's still angry. Menard distracts Statlander and is sent off the top. Anna hits a gory bomb for a two count. And then Menard gets on the apron, and this allows for the Queen Slayer to be applied. But Statlander powers to her feet, flips her off, and hits a backbreaker, tombstone, and pins her in 825. And uh, Taya Valkyrie was given the, uh, the direction, look angry. And so she looked at... Ugh. And she's mad. So she's mad that Chris Statlander is benefiting off of all of her work, weakening Jade Cargill. Although that hasn't quite been explained clearly, but I guess they're hoping everyone gets that story. Yeah. And I think, again, like that seems like that's the justification, I think, for why they decided to have Statlander win without doing any work for a babyface uh, is to build into this. It's essentially like build a Taya Valkyrie heel turn coming off of the failed attempt to beat jade so i think it's a good next program for both of them i think being a heel is a good direction for taya valkyrie just immediately refreshes her and re- renews her chase um good showcase i thought tonight again for statlander i thought Anna j looked comfortable as she continues to improve statlander too i think has already looks and feels to me like a champion i thought her confidence was strong and i do appreciate that she's had you know two weeks of airtime on dynamite now because um she could very well be hidden on on Rampage as Jade was like most of the time. But um, I think I have a feeling Statlander will be showcased on Dynamite a, a bit more often. And I think she's way more fresh and interesting right now than Tony Storm with, as the main champion. All right. We had a lot of announcements. So Rampage on Friday night has the Lucha Brothers and Bandito against Ethan Page, Lee Moriarty, and Big Bill. But the yeah, firm is Paige, not a thing anymore, right? Well, I thought Page was owned by Man Hardy. Did Man Hardy loan him out? Back He's to, been leased. He's been leased to his former okay. partners. Powerhouse Hobbs will be in action. The acclaimed and daddy ass against Angelico, Serpentico, and Luther. And a four-way match between Nyla Rose, Mercedes Martinez, Sky Blue, and Dr. Britt Baker, where the winner gets a women's title shot against Tony Storm on Dynamite next week. I saw this lineup, and I believe you'll be going live at 10 p.m. Eastern. That's my guess on Friday night. <laughs> I think you would be right. Okay. Um, Kate yeah. from Montreal and waiting this Friday on the cafe. Rewind to SmackDown. I, I, I'm, I'm positive Kate will make time out of her schedule to watch this edition of Rampage, but unfortunately I won't be. So, um, uh, she will have to delay her viewing, um, till later on because, uh, this was a Rampage lineup. You know, this was not a, any sort of special attraction championship edition, um, turbo, nothing. This was just Rampage. So does didn't feel that important to me although like i mean a number one qualifier match for the women's championship which there's was, a consequence there for yeah. the four-way and so next week they are in washington dc which was the site of the first episode of dynamite in october of 2019 and like ticket sales for this i believe like they're under four thousand. so it's it's not been a, a big number for that return to washington and tony storm cut the promo with ruby soho that this is where the first champion was crowned, and that was Riho beating Nyla Rose, who is from Washington, D.C. And I wonder if that maybe is the – because I think Britt Baker would certainly be the big match. I don't know if you would want to give away on just a couple of days' notice that Nyla winning this is maybe your possible match. Tony versus 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, is that attractive enough, Nyla Rose versus Tony Storm? Well, I don't think it's any worse than Mercedes Martinez or Sky Blue. And I'm just saying, like, it, it, Britt Baker and Tony Storm, to me, is a match that, I don't know, would you want to do it at this point? Why not? It just seems like a match you could hold off on. You could do it. I'll sure. probably do it again. Well, I guess that's possible. Well, in addition to the women's title match, we have the Hung Bucks against the BCC, MJF and Adam Cole in the Eliminator, and an eight-man tag as the Mogul Embassy takes on Orange Cassidy, Darby Allen, Keith Lee, and Sting. So they are throwing out the big guns. We've got Sting. We've got the Young Bucks. We got an MJF match. Yeah. That's, big, big addition of Dynamite next week. They're trying to make it feel big, yeah. Certainly. What's going to be on that collision in Hamilton? I mean, are they just going to give us like Omega Bushi uh, <laughs> for, for a week out? The Undertaker will show up. Bill Goldberg makes his debut. I did hear from somebody in Hamilton that had seen uh, some like local advertising in Hamilton that did feature CM Punk in the advertising, but um, I have not seen the the ad. What's the biggest? Who is the biggest draw to a Hamiltonian? Well, Iron Mike Sharp, but besides that, um, it's it's probably Punk. Maybe the entire Tiger Cats will face the House of Black. They'll enter the open challenge. Okay, okay. A Hamilton Tiger Cat match. A Cops Coliseum, yeah. Main event is Ricky Starks and Jay White. Uh, the best part at the beginning, they had to plug the uh, the Panthers-Vegas Golden Knights game. So Excalibur and Taz break down what a physical series this has been at the, at the beginning. I would love to hear these guys talk about hockey throughout the whole main event segment each week. Um, they just said, man, a lot of leeway here by Paul Turner. Like, this is a regular match. Juice Robinson and FTR are banned from ringside. They're brawling up the stage. They aren't in this ring at all. And Paul Turner is just, they're at one point saying, man, Paul Turner just needs to say enough. But he did not say enough. It was, it's playoff time. You got to let these guys fight it out. So um, they had a nice match here. It was a lot of intensity here from Ricky Starks. He eats a superplex and then comes back with lariats and a tornado DDT. Each hit their own Uranagis. And the spear gets caught with a knee strike by White. Blade Runner is countered, and then he spears White, tries for Rochambeau, but in doing so, knocks White's leg into Paul Turner, who's out like a light. And then the guns sneak up and hit 310 to Yuma onto Ricky, and White hits the Blade Runner, winning the match in 1331, and Juice Robinson comes out to gloat. And that was dynamite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the gun club joined the Bullet Club. And or Man, we, they've expanded significantly over the, these last couple of days. Between Dominion and tonight, the factions of the Bullet Club are just soaring. I, well, we have yet to like receive real confirmation that Bullet Club Gold are in fact Bullet Club. Well, there then there's a lawsuit out for like their image and likeness. There could be a, a cease and desist coming soon to Jay White. We'll see. But I think we, I feel it, it might be safe to assume that the Gun Club are, are members are, are going, or at least soon to be members of Bullet Club Gold. And I think the firm didn't work out for them, but that doesn't mean like they they aren't a perfect fit for a faction in like a New Age Outlaws type of way. Um, I I think they'd be a great fit to help accentuate what Jay White and Juice Robinson are doing. I think the I thought the match was just kind of okay. To be honest, I haven't really been all that impressed with Jay White's matches in Asia. AW thus far. Um, what did you think? I, I thought it was, you know, like, I think I liked it a bit more than you, but I understand that it to me was a match that it, it did feel like the, the audience was a little 
more subdued in in, the, in this main event by the end. And this was a show that uh, it had some very good wrestling on it. This was not the match of the show, but it was, I think, fine with a finish that I think your your reaction will will vary based on like the. Uh, getting around the like the latest ref bump and the run in, which I just think it, it's relied on so heavily that when you do it, even in kind of like a heat seeking way, I think it sometimes comes short because it just feels like a convenient out that is always established um, as routine. And I don't think you want these to be routine. Yeah, I think if there's a way for them to really like make Jay White feel like a special guy. It's this month, you know, in the lead up to Forbidden Door. I mean, so many things you could do with him and the actual Bullet Club. Jay White's connections to, you know, so much of the New Japan roster. Like, he he should really be front and center for something special at this pay-per-view, I think. Okay. Well, we're going to open it up. If you have any Super Chats to get into, we will also get to your feedback. And then we are jumping over to the Post Wrestling Cafe, where we will continue and discuss Dark Side of the Ring from Tuesday night. So, Way, where do we start? Uh, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com, where our cafe members can not only join us afterwards for the double shot, but they can also go to forum.postwrestling.com to leave their feedback to all these shows that we end up reviewing on these airwaves. So, John, would you like to start? Zubin writes in, I love the spicy audience tonight. I appreciated one of the commentators bringing up Yuta's pass with the best friends. From what I recall, his gimmick was getting choked out by Statlander. Danielson was absolutely right to say each member of the BCC is their best version of themselves right now. I honestly had no interest in seeing a Cole MGF feud, but their segment tonight definitely changed that. I couldn't help but be popped by all the smarky lines. Also, Max did a good job of stifling an attempt from Colorado Springs to hijack the segment. Speaking of which, did I hear Punk's name being booed? Lastly, did, did you notice that when MJF brought up Punk's name? I didn't get like a really solid reaction. I heard just kept a, moving on. I heard like louder boos, but it came at a delay after the mention of Punk. I mean, it could have been interpreted that way, but I I, I kind of took it more as just like boos for MJF. But yeah, I, I would say at this juncture until he arrives, I think the name CM Punk is going to get a like you will get some boos and you'll probably get cheers too. And mm-hmm. like as we saw like, last are they, week, are they booing because they're not seeing him? I don't know if they're, he's being booed. I think it's just the, the name of him at this point. I don't think there'd be any expectation that we're not seeing him. I, I, okay. Well, I guess maybe more so what I mean is being able to see him might counter any negative sentiment. I, I think it, I, I think it will to a degree. Like that's, that's going to be the interesting part about like Toronto, the, the week, the second week, if he's on that show. Uh, says, lastly, my girlfriend Faith and I are absolutely psyched for your watch-along choice in Vanderpump Rules. She's been wanting to show me an episode for a while, and this is the perfect entry point for me. Thanks, as always, for the coverage, and rest in peace to the Iron Sheik. Well, yes, you and uh, your girlfriend can join us Thursday night, 8.15 p.m. Eastern Time. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, nor does Way. So this is a completely uh, blank canvas that we are mm. viewing on Thursday night. Yeah, and of course, if you can't join us live, we will... Do our best to put something up in the archive. Um, and I say do our best because I, I never know what sort of like copyright, um, I might be subjected to, but at the very least we'll get our audio, um, from the three of us as we talk about it. So uh, do your best to join us live. That, that would be the optimal, uh, recommendation. Vanderpump say. has some very restrictive rules. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to Muggin who says Orange Cassidy's hot streak as international champion continues. I had sort of winning, but. Now I wonder who OC will face in Toronto. Manuro Suzuki, perhaps. What do you think, John? Mm. Does he have a defense? 
I think he has a defense on, on the show. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because obviously not everyone is going to get a big singles match on this show. I think you're going to like a John Moxley, for instance, like he could very well be in a multi-man with Claudio mm-hmm. and Yuta on that show that not everyone's going to get the big uh, singles match. I, I could see Cassidy having a defense just because they've been so prominent and, you know, he had the big match with Osprey on last year's show that maybe you want to have him featured somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say it's possible. Uh, the rest of the show hummed along, and I'm glad Cole escaped the Jericho verse as he thrust himself into a world title feud versus MJF, and I can see Cole beating him to next week. Oh, beating him next week to earn a title shot. It'll be a rare loss that'll ditch the jump through the hoops trope that defines every title feud of Freedmans. I hope Brian versus Okada is the main event for Forbidden Door. It'll be tough to follow, and yes, Omega Osprey to exists. Wow. Oh, I, I I feel tonight that Osprey and Okada that's the main event of the show. Osprey Omega. Osprey and Omega. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Brian, in the part of New Jersey that isn't as smoky, Dynamite really flew by with a lot of good wrestling, but I thought it opened with the best match of the night in Cassidy and Swerve Strickland. I would agree with Brian. Mm-hmm. They look so good together. The six man that followed was hot as well. Even though the roster is massive and I'm glad the cards every week are so different, I still wish House of Black were on the show. And it was weird seeing the only JAS presence being Anna J and Daddy Magic. I thought MJF's promo was stronger than Cole's, but I'm glad the feud is going forward. To tie it in with the topic in the YouTube chat earlier, could we see Orange Cassidy face MJF down the line, either for the world title or both of their titles? I, I'm not opposed to that idea at, at all. I do not see them uh, uh, constricting titles. I just don't see that being in their in their wheelhouse. Mm. Um, but I, I do like the idea of Orange Cassidy as a challenger and a viable one at that coming like this title program has proven that you could there's no limit to how far you could push an orange cassidy he's already like far exceeded every sort of like uh, i think metric and 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 barricade that's been set up for him as a quote-unquote gimmick wrestler um you know the fact that he would have any sort of title run at all i think was not necessarily you would have foreseen at the beginning of his run in AEW, much less a title run that has arguably been the best that AEW has actually produced so at this point i i definitely think you can be you know tell a world title story with an orange cassidy um i think you come out of this run with orange cassidy as hot as ever. And I would escalate him right away to, to that MJF match. Okay. We're going to sign off, but we are going to be back in just a couple of minutes. So uh, go um, do what you need to do. Uh, have your smoke break and then join us back in a couple of minutes. And <laughs> don't, you can just go outside if you want your smoke break. If you're living. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You don't, you don't need any, uh, you don't need any uh, um, assistance. Uh, yeah, if you, you, you don't need any nicotine. You just breathe, just open a window. That's it. Okay. We'll be up in just a couple of minutes on the post wrestling cafe. So go on over there, postwrestlingcafe.com for the double shot tonight. And if you are not joining us, hopefully we will see you on the watch along on Thursday night, 8 15 PM Eastern time. So that is it. Thank you for tuning in to rewind to dynamite.